Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, that's what I'm here to do today, to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. You received it and you stood on it. By this gospel, you are saved. Big word right here, if. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4, and that he was buried. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I'm going to preach something very simple today, the gospel. We'll call this message the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Now, Lord, I want to thank you for every person in this building today, and not just them, but the family they represent, the spouse, the children, the grandchildren. We thank you for the lineage, the genealogies, and the generations that are represented in this building today. I humble myself before you, Lord, and I ask you to allow me to preach things that I didn't study to say. In other words, God, would you let the Holy Spirit take over in this building today? Holy Spirit, would you have your way today? And God, would you give the people a faith that would lean forward? Would you put a hunger in their heart for the word of the Lord today? Because we feel like the Apostle Peter. When you ask him if he would forsake you, he said to you, where can we go? Because you have the word of eternal life. Let us cling to that word like that today. Let us have that kind of hook in your word today. We love you. We bless you. We praise you for everything you've done in our life. Can you just thank him for every little experience, every event, everything he's ever done? And now I want you to look into your future with a telescopic lens of excitement and begin to praise him for the things he's going to do in your life. Amen. One more favor, if you don't mind, would you lift your hands and let me pray for you. Father, I pray for the people. That if there be any curse on their family, that it would be broken. Every generational curse broken today by the power of the name of Jesus. Any generational spirit that's attached itself to their family, we dismiss it with the authority of the name of Jesus. 
And we thank you for a revival in every family represented. Have your way. Speak, Lord. Your servants are hearing clearly today in Jesus' name. Just before you sit down, we are an excited church. Would you give God the biggest praise you've given him so far today? God is good. And he's good all the time. High five somebody and tell them it's on in the building. And then you may be seated. Paul says this gospel, this gospel, Paul tells the church at Corinth, this gospel. This good news is not only what saved you, but this good news is what you stand on. It is good news that you can depend on. He also says that this good news is of first importance. In other words, he says this message of the gospel must be priority in your life. The message of the good news must be priority. In other words, when you wake up and you begin your dialogue for the day, let this be the first thing you think of, the good news, because it is so easy to get set in a rut of bad news carriers, being bad news carriers. But the gospel is not bad news. The gospel is good news. And I have good news for you today. Good news you can walk on. Good news you can stand on. Good news you can depend on. I want to read our text today from the Message Bible. Friends, let me go over the message with you one final time. This message, this gospel that I proclaim that you made your own, this gospel on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy. And you're in this for good. And you're holding fast to it. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me. That the Messiah died for our sins. Exactly as scripture tells it. That he was buried. That he was raised from death on the third day. Again, exactly as scripture says. You know, preaching really is just a matter of persuading. Preaching really is just a matter of persuading. You cannot persuade someone about something that you are not convinced of and convicted about. Persuasion is a powerful gift. In Acts chapter 26, we find the Apostle Paul testifying in front of of King Agrippa, he's attempting to get him converted to Christ. And when you get to verse 23 of Acts 26, he begins to preach these three things, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You see, all messages must end with that triad of good news. The real gospel will always find its conclusion concerning the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And Agrippa is listening 
to the Apostle Paul, and he states in verse 28 of Acts 26 these words, Paul, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Well, I didn't come in here today to preach to you to almost persuade you. I came in here to preach to you as a man convinced and convicted. Not to just persuade you, but to convince you that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life in a world that is full of a philosophy called inclusion. I want to preach you an exclusive message that Jesus is not one of many ways. Jesus is the only way to the Father. If there's anybody in here that believes that, can you give that Jesus a good praise real quick before we continue? Christ died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. Christ died. See, death is really a matter of perspective. Death is a matter of perspective. It's a word that people fear. It's a word we try to avoid. It's certainly a word that we choose to ignore. You don't hear a lot of people preaching about death. But I came to tell you, death is inescapable. Death is unavoidable. Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed to every man that he must die. It is appointed once to every man that he must die. This is one appointment you will not miss. This is one appointment you will not be late for. When your time is up, your time is up, and you will die. Death is interesting even in its introduction because it rudely shows up on the scene of humanity in the book of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 when God gave in very specific instructions to Adam and Eve of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not touch it, do not eat from it, and you know that they did. He said, for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely what? Die. And that's how death showed up. Early on, we see that death is not only a curse, death is a consequence. Death is a consequence of disobedience from the first Adam. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, when the first Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And then Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. Why? Because everyone sinned. This is why most people see death as the end. The result of my sin is death. So I'm just going to die one day. We see this example in John chapter 11 when Mary and Martha's perspective was one that said death is the end. In verse 21 of John 11, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, listen to her conclusion. If you would have been here, Lazarus' sickness would not have ended in death. Denoting the idea that she believed that death was the end. But 
Notice something. This shows that Jesus' perspective of death was subject to him. When he said these words, Martha, he said these words. When Jesus heard it, he said these words, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Jesus said death is subject to me. Why? Because I'm not going to be. I am the resurrection. So this is a battle between not death and life. It's a battle between death and resurrection because we're going to all die. But the end is not death. For Lazarus rose again. So Jesus said death is subject to my authority. In his perspective, he would say it like this in John 12, 23. The hour is come that the Son of Man must be glorified. Now, how does that relate to Lazarus in being death? Because Jesus did not say, the hour is come, Vicky, that I must die. He said, the hour has come that I must be glorified. Do you not see? It's a matter of perspective. Many people see death as the end, but there are those that have an understanding of faith and belief that say death is not the end. Death is merely glorification because when we met him, we were justified. When we lived with him, we were sanctified. But when we pass with him, we are glorified. It's a matter of perspective. His perspective of death was not separation. It was glorification. His vision of the hour of death was one that was powerful. It was optimistic. It was victorious. When he said the Son of Man shall be glorified, it literally means he shall be rendered unto excellence. In other words, I will be manifested at my highest place. Listen, we should take on a new perspective of death, people of God. Can you say amen to that? We should all adjust our perspective when it comes to this subject of death because let me tell you what you're not going to bypass. You're not going to bypass death. So you might as well have you a healthy, holy perspective of that subject called death. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin, and he gives us victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is not one of the subjects. Jesus is the subject because without Jesus, you have no victory over the grave and you have no victory over death. But when Jesus lives in your heart, you can stare death down in the face and say, where is your sting, O death? And where is your victory, O death? Oswald Chambers said it like this, death is God's delightful way of giving us life. 
What a fresh perspective. Can you say amen to that? I am here to extract from you the, drear, the dreariness and the drudgery of your perspective of death until you started getting excited. If you're sanctified, blood-bought, filled with the Holy Spirit, born-again believer, you ought to be excited about this thing we call death because it's a mere transition from time to eternity. Someone once said, death is not the end. It's only a new beginning. Death is not the master of the house. It is only the porter at the king's lodge. Death is appointed to open the gate and let the king's guest into the realm of an eternal day. What is death? Death is nothing but gain. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 says, Paul speaking, to die is gain, to live is Christ. But to die is gain. To any Christian, death is nothing more than gain. Death means more. Death doesn't mean just after. Death means abundance. Death means eternity. Death means exceeding. Death means glory. Death means you get to live in this ecstatic, wonderful feeling of euphoria. Every day of your life. What do you mean, Pastor Rick? There's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. So before you look at that door called death with fear, before you look at that, that door called death in awe, no, look at death as a, port, a portal that welcomes you into the eternal presence of the God you've been serving. So this weekend starts with death <laughs> and man you wouldn't need any resurrection without death I'm going to say it again resurrection is not necessary unless there's death some of you have been crying for revival you revive things that are almost dead but you resurrect things that have already died and I came by to tell you that before this service is over, things you've given up on that seem dormant and dead in your life, there's going to be a resurrection of that dream. There's going to be a resurrection of that purpose. There's going to be a resurrection of those thoughts of success. Somebody say amen. And this is the gospel. That Christ died. That he was buried. If death is a matter of perspective, then buried is a matter of planting. Death is a matter of planting. Luke chapter 23, verse 53, they took the body of Jesus from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb. They buried him that had been carved out of the rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation as the Sabbath was about to begin. Remember what Jesus said concerning being buried. John chapter 12, verse 24. Except a kernel of wheat fall into the ground buried and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Death is the key to spiritual fruitfulness. Apart from his death, his life stands in isolation with no power of increase. His vision was one that was powerful and purposeful. So he said, you don't only, I will not only experience death, 
but I will also experience being buried. Boy, that's strong stuff. His use of this vocabulary is strategic. In essence, he said, you have to bury me to see the best of me. Woo! Have you ever felt like they buried you? They forgot you to the point that they buried you? I came to tell you there's a comeback in you. Enjoy the dirt. Enjoy the dirt because when you come back, enjoy being buried. Enjoy the process of germination, decomposition, falling apart. When you feel like you are buried and falling apart, decomposition is set in. You are in the first stage of production, which means you are germinating. So tell people that have given up on you, please add more dirt. Because the deeper you bury me, the higher I'm going to be when I come out this ground. You know, I get to say this every year, and I've been saying it for 40 years, and I love this one sentence, every year on Resurrection Day, they made a bad mistake. They made a bad mistake. They thought they were burying a man. They did not know they was planting a seed. Jesus said, until you bury a seed, it abides alone. He called himself a seed. But what was going on while he is in this ground? The disciples now are divided. There's confusion. The ladies at the tomb are talking. I'm not saying they're gossiping, but they sure talking. There's doubt running everywhere, even complaining. Sound like some church folks, right? And they're not satisfied. Where is he? Where have you laid him? Where is our master? Where is the one? They called himself the savior of the world. But I got to tell you something. We never preach on Saturday or about Saturday. We preach on Friday about Friday. We preach on Sunday about Sunday. But when's the last time you heard a message called Saturday? He was buried. Can we touch it just for a minute? Because I believe he was busy on Saturday. I don't know if y'all can get with that, but I don't believe he was just laying in the grave on Saturday. I believe his spirit had separated from his body, and I believe Jesus went to work. And I believe that's when he said these words according to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. I am the living one. He said, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever." And ever, that's what he said. And on Saturday, he said, I went down and I took hold of the keys of death and hell. On Saturday, he went to the one who held the keys of death and he snatched the keys out of the hands of death. And he said, now I control you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You have no more authority to lock or release. I decide those things now. Tell your neighbor he was busy on Saturday. I'm going to skip some things here because I need to get to the final point. The gospel is the death burial. We covered that pretty good, didn't we? 
But the conclusion of the matter is the resurrection. That's why we got all dolled up today. Some of y'all had your hair did today, right? We put on nice clothes. This is the first time I've worn a tie all year, all two years, all three years. But I thought today I'd get fixed up. Why? Because today is a different day. See, today he's not dead. Today he's not suffering. But today he got up. And I thought I would get up looking different today. Today we celebrate. When we go to a gala, we don't come in jeans. Do you hear what I'm saying? When you go to a gala, you put your best duds on. We used to call them Sunday go to meeting clothes. And some of you came in here wearing clothes you ain't wore all year long. Why? Because it's Easter time. It's resurrection time. And I came by to tell you, you serve a risen Savior. This is why we came here today. We talked about his crucifixion on Friday. We talked about his burying for a moment today. But the rest of this day, we're going to spend celebrating the fact that you serve a Savior that is not resting in a grave. He's not in a tomb. He is not buried. But he has risen, and he is risen indeed. I'm going to preach the rest of it, but I'm going to give you 15 sanctified seconds to give a risen Savior some praise. Give a risen Savior some praise. The gospel is Christ died. The gospel is Christ was buried. And the gospel is Christ resurrected on the third day. Man, I wanted to preach on that third day because I love that third day. But I'll leave that third day alone. I'll just hit you one time. The first time the third day is mentioned, it's all about revelation and resurrection because it was on the third day of creation that God rolled back the water and called for the dry land. The question is, how do you get dry land out of wet water? Only God can do that. And only God can raise his son from the dead. The third day is a day of celebration. The third day is a day of revelation. The third day is when God shows you stuff, not that he's been hiding from you, but stuff he's been hiding for you. You know what I'm going to go ahead and prophesy to some of y'all. Y'all about to see some things this week you've been praying for all year long. Tell your neighbor, welcome to the third day. I'll leave that alone. Woo. If the death is a matter of perspective and, and then burying is a matter of planting, boy, I feel something here now. Then resurrection is a matter of power. Say the word power. I'm going to say it again. If death is a matter of perspective, if burying is a matter of planting, then resurrection is a matter of power. Paul told Timothy there would be a generation in the last day that would have a form of godliness, but they would lack the power thereof. See, the church ought to be carrying Power. You know, that kind of power that allows you to tread on scorpions and cast out demons and lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That, that's what Jesus said. I'm going to give you the kind of power that you will lay hands on people and they would be healed. 
We don't hear about that very much anymore. He was raised on the third day. That's a matter of power. Someone said if you were irrevocably committed to the proposition that it would have been impossible for Christ to triumph over death, you may as well quit fiddling around the fringes of following Christ. Because as Paul bluntly said, the whole thing stands or falls on the fact of the resurrection. Either it happened or it didn't. And if it didn't, Christianity is a gigantic fraud. And the sooner we are quit of it, the better we are. Well, the fact is, he's not there. The truth is, he has risen from the dead. And it's a matter of power, not power that he got from Pilate, not power that he got from the Pharisee, not power that he got from the Sanhedrin, power that the Father gave him. He said in John chapter 10, verse 17, therefore doth my Father love me because I, listen to it, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No man takes my life from me. Listen to this power. I lay my life down myself. And then he goes on. He says, I have power to lay it down. And I have power to raise it up again. I've received this commandment from my father. Now, you know I love the message Bible. This is how it reads. This is why the father loves me. Because I freely lay down my life. And so I am free to take up my life. No one can take my life from me. Listen to that power. I lay it down of my own free will. And I have the right or the power to lay it down. But I also have the right and the power to take it up again. I've received this authority personally from my father. I receive this power from my father. It literally means he gave me that right. Lord, I'm going to try to. I know it's Easter. I'm supposed to behave. He gave me the right to lay my life down, and he gave me the privilege of raising my life back up again. He's setting a principle of resurrection that nobody can lay you down. Nobody can put you down that you can't get up yourself. For if the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he shall also quicken your mortal body. So when people think they are burying you and you are done, you got power that says God gave me the right and the privilege to get up one more time. And some of you have been knocked down so many times that you must say with the prophet Micah in chapter 7, Oh enemy, do not celebrate when I fall, for I will rise again. How do you know that? Because I got the right to rise again. How do you know that? Because I got the power to rise again. How do you know that? Because it's my privilege to rise again. And some of you have been in the doldrum of life. You've been in depression, despondency, you've been in all kind of discouragement and today is not your normal Easter Sunday service that you're going to but today is a day that you say I am going to bounce back because I have the power to bounce back. I'm going to bounce back because I have the right to bounce back. 
I dare you to throw your hands up and shout, it's my resurrection day. I'm going to quit, man, because I could preach all day, but I, I'll stop. This ain't even in my notes. Oh, Lord. Anybody love Jesus in this building? Is anybody glad you got the power of the Holy Ghost living in you that when you get knocked down, you can bounce right back up? I'm off my notes now. I can't help it. Wasn't it, wasn't it Isaac Newton that said what goes up must come down? But ain't it the Holy Ghost that says what goes down? We don't live by Sir Isaac Newton's theory. We live by a higher theology. Gravity has no hold on you. Up back to me. You have resurrection power. When you go down, somebody shouted, I bounce right back up. It ain't me, it's the power that lives in me. And that's why Paul said, I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering and in the power of his resurrection. I won't get depressed. I won't stay discouraged. I won't live in despondency because I got power in me that says I am not suicidal. I ain't going to have anxiety attacks. Panic disorders are not going to rule my life. I got the power of the Holy Ghost that says get up and I came by to holler at you and tell you get up you got the power of God living in you Woo. what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to his working mighty power the working of his mighty power that lives where in you the power that works in us. The power is working where? In you. Where's the power working? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. The power works where? You know, one of the, I'll get away from it. One of the definitions of the word resurrect is to resurge. To resurge. It also means to reuse. That means it was used at a time, then shelved, and now it's, you resurrected it means you brought it back to life again. You brought it back to usability again. But I like this thought of surge because anything that surges has to have some momentum attached to it. Something caused that momentum. That momentum is caused by power. See, if you unplug this amplifier over here, it is powerless but is filled with potential. But whenever you plug it into the, what happened? There's a surge. This causes potential to live again. See, the enemy is not only after your purpose, he wants to convince you you have no potential. But we're here to tell the enemy not only do we carry power, we carry potential, and we will walk in our purpose. I'll stop. I dare you to shout at three people around you, get up, get up wherever you are. Get up. Don't tell me you can't. 
Don't tell me you cannot. Don't tell me you cannot. You've been born again. You've been saved. You've been sanctified. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me you can't come up out of it. Yes, you can because the power that lived in him lives in you. My God, today. I'll end it on finally. Let's all stand. If whew, death is a matter of perspective, if burying is a matter of planting, then resurrecting is a matter of what? Power. Then I'll leave you with this. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6, 10, finally, be strong in the Lord. How? By the power of his might. You haven't figured it out yet. Your analytical processes hasn't solved the problem yet. So when will you just surrender to the power of God in your life and say, Lord, you take over. Your power can handle it. Your power can deal with it. And because your power is working in me, I can deal with it. I can bounce back. I can resurge. I can resurrect. I'm going to pray for resurrected marriages now. I'm just going to follow the Holy Ghost here. I hear the Holy Ghost whispering in my right ear. Pray for marriages. Some of your marriages are suffering strain and struggle you've lost the joy of the union lift your hands married couples all of you not some of you just lift your hands come on lift your hands if you're married father would you resurrect these marriages many of them feel buried beneath stuff would you reinvigorate a man a husband that he would love his wife as Christ loved the church Oh, Lord Jesus, would you revisit the bride and let her look at her man like he's the greatest thing that's ever. Would you do that today? Would you resurrect marriages today? In Jesus' name. Can I keep following the Holy Ghost here? Some of you have shelved your purpose. Many of you are in this building with a call of God. You, you remember when God called you. He put a call on your life. You finally gave up on it and you shelved it. You said, maybe one day I'll do what God called me to do. Well, today's your day to start. I want, to, I want you to see yourself reaching and grabbing that gift that God gave you, putting it back in your heart, reach and grab that purpose that God assigned to you, no matter how far down you've been, and tell God that I will serve my purpose in my generation. Would you lift your hands all over this room? I'm going to pray against the spirit of depression. Many people are so depressed, your own Xanax and Prozac and everything that you can name. And you know what? I pray against it in the name of Jesus. I, I pray against you come out of depression. No more crying in the corner. No more balled up in a fetal position in your bedroom because you can't figure life out. I speak against that depression in those thoughts that are dark. I speak against them now. You, This is your resurrection day. See yourself getting up off that bedroom floor, 
see yourself dancing in your living room, see yourself smiling again, laughing with your friends, having a wonderful dinner with your wife, enjoying life again. In the name of Jesus, I bind every demon that has been assigned to your life to distract you and discourage you and depress you. You are coming out and you're coming up in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for resurrection power in this building today. And finally,